Looking to start your own website? The first thing you need is a domain name, and the best place to get one is at GoDaddy.com. With your domain registration, you'll get hosting, a free blog, complete email, and much more. Plus, as a MuggleCast listener, enter code RON, that's R-O-N when you check out, and get your .com domain name for just $7.49 a year. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. This week's episode is also brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook today by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash mugglecast. This is, this is Professor McGonagall welcoming you to all to Mugglecast, hoping you enjoyed. Dobby, Dobby, come here. Yeah, Dobby. Yes, well, I'd just like to say how very pleased I am to introduce Mugglecast to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Because Ben is starting a new trend in high schools, this is MuggleCast, episode 185, for November the 22nd, 2009. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 185. We're here for another episode. It's all Potter all the time here on MuggleCast. And you guys know we're now just one year away from Deathly Hallows part one. Ooh. Oh, snap. Is this sad news or is this happy or bittersweet? Or what, what's the feeling? I think bittersweet is the word, Andrew. Mm. I have to agree. I'm kind of like, I would have been really depressed if it was... Uh, part two that we're a year away from, but you know, luckily we're still about eighteen months away from that, or a little more than well, that. For right now, we're one year away. You never know with Warner Brothers; they can change. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they can delay it three years. I don't know. I'm still st- sticking with the theory that they can move it up to summer because I think, I, from a filming perspective, it'll be ready in time. But I don't know. So, so we're about a year away from from the film's release, and it's pretty sad. Um, well, it's not sad; it's bittersweet. Ben said. And we have a great episode for everyone today. We're going to go through uh, chapter by chapter. Uh, we're going to bring an old segment back we haven't uh, been on, or we haven't done in a while, and of course discuss the news. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Mike Atanabo. I'm Matt Britton. And I'm Nick Myers. Matt, it sounded like you forgot who you were for a second. Yeah. Well, I, I was well, because well, it's, it's, it's been of a couple months since I've been on. Right, Michael, what's in the news this week? You know, Andrew, I'm, I'm actually kind of disappointed with, with something that was in the news. This first point here, direct download links for the Ultimate Edition previews of both Sorcerer's Stone and Chamber of Secrets. That's... What's the deal with putting all this stuff online? Well, are, are, isn't the idea to go and, and buy the DVD, you bring it home, you watch it. Now all this stuff is available for people just to go online, they watch it, they don't need to buy the DVD. 
Well, this is all promotional material. I mean, there's going to be an hour from each of these DVDs with the the behind the scenes look. Like each of them, I think it's an hour for each of them, right? And that's not on that. That hasn't been released, has it? No, not but yet. what we're seeing are clips from, you know, what the hour long special on each of these DVDs is oh, going to be. Oh, so they're trying to wet wet our appetites. Yeah, make us try to make us go out and get the DVD when it does come out. That's right. I think it's kind of cool. I mean, has anyone watched these clips? Yeah, I agree with yeah. Mike. There, they've given too much away. I think. Ah, oh, you guys, you're you're just so ah. Uh, it's spoiled. a great novelty, but I mean. Yeah, there's a lot though. I mean, if if they release just a few of them, then I I mean I could, I don't see any problem with it. But dang, it looks like there's like 18 videos. Okay, well yeah, there are a lot, but they're all like, yeah. they're all a couple minutes. I don't know. This would be the opposite of being spoiled. We don't want to be spoiled. That's the whole point. I mean, if you're gonna go out there and spend money on these collection of DVDs for both the movies, I mean, it's good to have maybe one video that you put out there that that showcases. Um, you know the ultimate editions but to have all of this stuff i mean it's i don't know i I don't agree with that (laughs) bad move by warner brothers well i think they're just trying to really promote it and you know this is sort of what happens with the clips from all the movies there's a ton of movie clips maybe that maybe they're confident there's tons of material i don't know micah what if i can't afford the dvd yeah you tell me i tell me i shouldn't at least be able to get a glimpse of it yeah come on micah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> rebuttal micah come on no micah. it's that's a, a really good point <laughs> go well, go torrent download it well these clips are cool there's uh, there's a lot of great insight we get into the making of the first two films and i think uh the insight into these two films are going to be most interesting out of all the ultimate editions because this is a, this is the start of everything and one of the clips that we see has uh, Chris Columbus and David Heyman talking about their relationship with one another, their working relationship. And they also focus a lot on the getting the kids to act because this was, uh, for Her- for Dan, Emma, and Rupert, this was their fir- very first film. This was or, well, back in the day, man. A mm-hmm. bi- big film. Dan did uh, one other film or one or two other films before this. But I think small. he did two. Two. Yeah. And they one interesting thing we learned is that they had multiple cameras rolling for every for almost every scene that they were in because they wanted to make sure they got the best shot of each person in every take because they never knew when they were going to miss an opportunity because these kids just weren't experienced enough and that's rare in I'm going to turn into Mikey B for a second that's rare for uh, filming cuz usually it's just one camera at a time they yeah. film this more like a, a sitcom sort of style where you know it's multiple cameras going at once or documentary yeah. style well, also, um, the the way that they were talking about it, it seemed like like David Heyman and Chris Columbus, um, it seemed like it was a big job for them. Like it, it was almost like annoying to the fact that the kids just couldn't, you know, do it in some takes. Yeah, they said it was really hard, and plus they had school. You know, they had to get scenes in before they had to go get tutored and all that. So mm-hmm. it, it was interesting listening to David Heyman talk about how Chris Columbus really didn't have to listen to anything he said. Yeah. David Heyman was kind of the, the JK Rowling, uh, what's the word? Like he of, was, of the series. Put, yeah. The I mean, he series. was so into the books and he basically said, Chris didn't have to pay any attention to, to what he was saying, but he really kind of listened to everything he had to say. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are coming out December 8th, along with the Half Blood Prince DVD. I am really excited for these. 
but I'm starting to think I'm going to ask for the Ultimate Editions for Christmas. We yeah. should plug that section that we created for the Ultimate DVDs. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. Where now all these links are available there, so you can go yeah. over there and watch to your heart's content if you can't afford the DVD. Yeah, just go to MuggleNet.com, and on the left side under Movies, there's a link for Ultimate Edition DVDs, and it's your one-stop. It's the ultimate resource for the Ultimate Edition DVDs. Ultimate, ultimate, ultimate. Ultimate. Super there's, ultimate. There was another cool video, just to bring it up real fast, where they yeah. were talking about Dan and how originally his parents didn't want him to take the role. Yeah. And then so, wow, they've been yeah, kicking themselves over that one. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because their parents said they thought it was too big for him. He wouldn't. What What was the wording, Micah? Like they didn't. No, you got it right. They yeah. thought it it would be too much for him to take on. Yeah, and then by some weird coincidence, David Heyman was with who was it? <laughs> I'm forgetting the story. They were at this theater it was with Steve Close. Steve Close, yeah, and they they were sitting near Dan. And his parents and David Heyman kept turning back to look at Dan like, oh, my God, he's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. And Dan, there's an interview with him on the Chamber of Secrets set and on the Deathly Hallows set uh, retelling that story where he's like seeing this guy looking at him and he's like, why does he keep staring at me? So it's a pretty wild twist of fate and um, really cool story. I'd be creeped out if I was in public and yeah, some, some weird dude just kept like turning around looking at me. Right. You're like uh, 10 years old and some old guy keeps staring back in front of you just looking at you for like 10 really long s- seconds. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I wouldn't mind a guy checking me out if it meant I was going to be uh, in the top grossing franchise of all time. Good point. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Michael, what else is going on? Well, speaking of Dan, uh, he's set to star in an upcoming episodes of The Simpsons. No, wait but... a second, Micah. Come on, dude. You made this up. Come on. No, this is uh, real. I made it up? Yeah, come oh, on. Oh, you mean the news is supposed to actually come from a source? Yeah, exactly. Oh. Uh, well, no, no. I mean, like, The Simpsons is a cartoon. Dan Radcliffe's a, Rank, Radcliffe is a human. So <laughs> He's going to oh, be voicing oh, a character. Saying. Oh. So he's not actually going to star in it. Let's just get no, that. He... No, no, he's not going to start. You're right. I, you know, I appreciate you looking out for me like that. I don't want to be making those types of mistakes. So go ahead. To tell us, you know, the details. So he'll be in uh, playing <laughs> character in the upcoming uh, episode of The Simpsons, but the episode won't be aired until until next year around Halloween time. I think he's right. going to be on their Halloween show. Yeah, and it's yeah. going to be a Twilight spoof, and he's going to be playing a character called Edmund. And that should be pretty funny. I'm surprised they're announcing this so far in advance. Like, because, yeah. you know, the last Halloween special just came out. That's true. Yeah. I wonder how far in advance they do these. Well, I, I would think it doesn't take that long to do an episode of The Simpsons, though. No. I mean, they've been checking them out for like 20 years now. It's yeah. True. Well, that's why I'm wondering why they announced it so far in advance. But it almost seems like a joke because it was so far ahead. But I guess maybe they're going to time it around the release of the movie. Um. But yeah, that that's pretty cool, and a lot of people were happy to see that because I think Dan once said that one of his dreams was to be in The Simpsons. So, because I think he's a big fan of the show. So, sometimes dreams really do come true. That's so right. Well, the final piece of news: uh, there was a Harry Potter spells app for the iPhone and the iPod Touch that was released uh, this past week. And uh, there's an instructional video that Warner Brothers, I guess, was it Warner Brothers who sent it along? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I didn't know from the email is like random people sending you yeah. instructional videos. But the guy who created the app actually sat down and, and created a video for those people who have bought it so they can well, learn how to properly use. Yeah, here's the thing. So this app came out uh, this past Monday. And I got to be honest with you, it's it was very hard to work. For something that should be simple, where you're just you know making these simple gestures, I had a very difficult time learning it, and I posted a review on uh, on MuggleNet, and I'm not saying that this guy made the video just because I was complaining, but I think a lot of people complained about it. So they released this video, and it's so cheesy. It's some guy was holding it really a, is. some guy was holding up a camera for the guy who made the app, and he does the spells, and the whole time he's looking straight at the camera, and it's just like creepy. <laughs> he tries to teach you how to do it, and he can do the spells right. But like, I've tried it; it's impossible. Nick, d- did you get the app? Don't don't you have an iPhone? Or no, I, I read your review and decided not to get it in the end. But, oh, okay. um, <laughs> yeah, a lot of the fans have made excuses for it, saying that it's hard to learn spells in the book, so it should be just as hard to perform them on the iPhone. Oh, that's nonsense. <laughs> I completely agree, though. I mean, I'm already to Avada Kedavra, Andrew. Are you really? Well, no, but I'm I'm close. What were you saying, Ben? I was gonna say, how much did this app cost? Four ninety nine. It's pretty expensive for an app, that, especially one that doesn't even work right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but there, I mean, it's a cool idea and concept, and you know, it, the technology built into the iPhone uh, makes perfect sense uh, in terms of turning it into like a wand app. And I hope they improve it because it's just ridiculous how difficult it is to cast these spells. And I'm telling well, it, you, this guy made this made this video just because it the, it's so hard to work. He makes it look easy, but trust me, it is not. Well, he's yeah, just on a different level than you. It's funny yeah. though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, clearly, watching that video, um, it's just it's weird because, like you said, he makes it seem so easy. It's almost you ask yourself the question: Why would you even buy this app right. in the first place? But. You, you're you're giving out all these complaints. It must be pretty bad. That's all the news. Yeah. Cool. Wow, Micah. It was a small. It's been a kind of slow news week, but uh, of course, when the DVDs released, we'll have plenty to talk about then. That'll oh, probably, tons. Probably be our next episode. Before we move along, we'd like to remind everyone again that this week's episode is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. You can get a free audiobook today by visiting AudiblePodcast.com/MuggleCast. These audiobooks can be put on your MP3 player and listened to anywhere, just like MuggleCast. If you're looking for a good book to try, I'd recommend The Magicians by Lev Grossman. It's a thrilling and original coming-of-age novel about a young man practicing magic in the real world. I've just started listening to it on Audible, and I love it. I highly recommend it. Again, visit audiblepodcast.com slash MuggleCast to get a free audiobook. Okay, so let's get into Muggle Mail now, and that will, then we'll move along to chapter by chapter. Ben, could you read the first email? I would love to, Andrew. Great. Josh, 20, from Moon Park, California. Andrew, where is Moon Park, California? I don't know, but I'll Google Map, and I'll let it's, you know how far away. Wait, Moore Moor Park, right? Moor Park. No. Sorry, not Moon Park. <laughs> My bad. Moor Park, California. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Oh, you're welcome, Ben. Josh writes, Hi, MuggleCast hosts. I was just wondering what your thoughts were on the Death Day Party's omission from the second movie. I know time didn't allow for this scene, but they must have been planning it in the early drafts of the script. On the Chamber of Secrets DVD, Disc 2, go to Behind Hogwarts and click on Gallery of Production Sketches. Click right twice and click on the bottom right portrait. Then you'll see an artist's rendering of the Death Day scene. So at what point in production do you think 
the scene was cut. I, yeah, I wonder what happened with that. Do you think maybe it was a budget thing? Like, because obviously it would take a lot of money to um, come up with a scene where there's hundreds of ghosts. So I wonder if it was just for for budget purposes. Or maybe they just it wasn't so a much deleted to do, they scene. Couldn't be bothered. Mm-hmm. No, no, it it was no, it wasn't a deleted scene. It got it seems like it they were planning on including it and got to the production sketches, but then mm. it disappeared. The lost I'm, scene. <laughs> I mean, maybe it just slowed down the pace. Maybe they realized that I was just going to slow down the movie a bit. Yeah. So they just decided to cut it. Yeah. I think there's probably a variety of reasons, but I had forgotten that there was a, a production. So how did they change in the movie? I'm I'm forgetting now. It wasn't included. No, no, no. I'm saying because after that is when they find Mrs. Norris. So what right. did they do to change it around so that they took that scene out? Was it after they went to eat? Oh yeah, it it was after that. I know nearly headless Nick like grabbed him after he came out of the great hall or something and asked if he could come with him. Yeah, maybe it's something, it like, something that. like that. Anyway, Nick, could you read the next email? Uh yeah, sure. Um next email is from Kelly. She's eighteen and from Massachusetts, is that? Uh she writes, Hey Mocast, this is Kelly. I've just started listening to your show, starting with episode one seven three, and have never sent an email before now. I was listening to your latest show, 184, and at 5.03 to 5.06, Ben Shane made me die with laughter when he said Rubius Hagrid, and again at 5.28 to 5.29 in that crazy accent. Haha, for some reason I just find it hilarious, and now it's an inside joke at my school. My friends and I will just say, we'll just start laughing. All I have to say is that, Ben, you should talk in that accent more often because it really is funny. Keep up the great work, Mogulcast. Can't wait for the next show. Peace. So look at that, Ben. You made a new fan. You you made a new awesome. catchphrase at a school too. <laughs> What's that? What'd you say, Matt? You made a new catchphrase too at that 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 school. You know, I'm a, I'm a trendsetter. I know. They, you. So they tell me. <laughs> Girl, yes. For us, uh, yeah. There we go. Yeah, can you give Micah. us a Micah? <laughs> <laughs> say, Micah. Say Micah. What's in the news? Micah. What's in the news? Grovius <laughs> <Romeo laughs> Hagrid. Rah. It never gets old. I know. It's really good. We've been going on for years, man. We're going to have to come up with like scenes for you, because you know how you always say the same things, which is good, but yeah. we're going to need to you know, come up with some new material for you. Change it up a bit. Yeah, I've, yeah. Been, I've been saying this stuff for like four years. How about Great Man Dumbledore? Dumbledore? No, no, no. Say it as Hagrid. Huh? Oh. Dumbledore's a great man. Dumbledore. <laughs> That's all I can say. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not. I am not some machine you put quarters in. That just like replies. Just goes on command. I have a soul. I am a human being. All right, uh, Matt. Could you read the next email? Yeah. Um, our next email comes from Danny F. Fifteen of Philadelphia, and Danny writes, "Hey, Mugglecast, I'm a big fan of the show. I love it, specifically the reinstitution of chapter by chapter. What has always tickled what has always tickled what has always ticked me off is the movie book difference of McGonagall telling the chamber not bins. More so, you guys agreed with the movie change. I love the ideas of bins, an ancient ghost telling a strict, lifeless interpretation of the myth, and watching." Such a consistent, uh, such a consistently monotoned, stiff character become vulnerable when dealing with the paranoia and insanity that be- that comes with the chamber. It would give such an interesting spin to the movie. Add a little darkness. 
Andrew was right by saying that McGonagall's class was such an odd time for a question, and the way she answered was a forced, anticlimactic scene that could have been much better. I was a la- It was a lazy move on the part of whoever incorporated that part. Thanks again. Love the show. P.S. Where's Laura? See, that was my point exactly. What? Where's yeah, Laura? Where is where's Laura? Laura? No, no, not that part. Oh. Um, well, no, I mean, I don't like this. I don't like this email. Why? First of all, they said Andrew was right. Which <laughs> yeah. We all know can't be true. <laughs> I don't appreciate that. I, th- I I just think it would have been cool coming from Bins. It could have been like an extra eerie scene where he's like, you know, he's like Dumbledore. He's just, he's just like very old and very like, I, I, I don't, I I don't know what the line I is. I wouldn't but... say I was ticked off by, by being McGonagall. I mean, I this understood. could be a very passionate fan. Ease. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the fact that introducing a new character in the scene would have taken more than just giving it to a regular and then yeah. pass off that, that line. Yeah. Right. Well, I think also, it goes back. Go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, uh, well, the adult actors, too, they, they don't really have that many lines to begin with. So maybe they just threw uh, Maggie Smith a bone and just had her say it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it goes back to the point, Andrew, you were making before about not having the death day party in for budget reasons. It could be the same thing with bins. I mean, why waste money on putting them in there? Right. The, the whole point was to show that for the first time, I think, in the entire series and probably throughout all the books, Binz's class is actually interesting and students care what he has to say. Mm-hmm. Right. If you go back to the yeah. book. Well, I don't know. We won't draw on it. The past is in the past, and uh, what what can we say? But um, also, Danny mentioned where it's Laura. I don't I can't, has she not been on in a while? But I uh, I really <laughs> can't <Sorry>. remember. <laughs> but uh, she'll be back on soon. She's actually going to be studying abroad uh, this next semester in the spring. So there's going to be a period where she's not on for like six months. So. Six months. <laughs> we'll, we'll make her come on these these next couple of episodes she couldn't this weekend because of traveling home for hey, thanksgiving is this the third episode i've been on in a row yeah congratulations ben congrats this is the 200th episode i've been on in a row. <laughs> they, they call that a streak my friend <laughs> <laughs> it's like a heat wave three three days above 90 is a heat wave this is a mm-hmm. ben wave a ben wave three episodes with ben okay next email is from jamie Jamie Lawrence is now a listener of the show. He's decided he, to stop. He coast. gave up. He gave it up. <laughs> He's in, just listen. First off, of course, I have to say I adore the show. You guys are amazing. Oh, well, thanks, thank you. Jamie. <laughs> this question has been bothering me for a while, and I figured there's no one better to ask than the Mugglecasters. What happens to Muggleborns' friends once they go to Hogwarts? Before they know they're wizards or witches, a lot of them have to have Muggle friends when they're young. But once they get their letter, how do they manage to hide that stuff from friends and friends, from friends and friends' families? They can't just they can't just ignore them forever. And how would they get removed from the school system unnoticed? When people begin to ask questions, just thought I'd bring this up. I love you all. Peace, love, and Potter, Jamie Lawrence. That's actually just Jamie. But <laughs> Jamie. This kind of relates to our discussion the other day about um the you know how how to how to muggle parents get brought into the wizarding world and how can they keep it all secret you know well i think people people of course would begin to ask questions that's a, that's no doubt but i think they would probably adopt a similar strategy to that of what the dursleys did but except not such a terrible school like they, the dursleys told everybody harry went to smeltings i believe the, yeah. Is, yeah is it smeltings no stonewall stone smeltings is where uh 
Dudley one, I think. Yeah, that's oh, the Dudley yeah, one. Yeah. Where Harry oh. went to, they told that they said that they, oh, uh, St. Brutus is, uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's terribly criminally insane. Like, some special school for insane kids. Right. Pretty much. So I'm guessing, I'm guessing, you know, if you had a family member who, who was wondering, you know, where is your kid going to school? I thought, well, why isn't he in public school anymore? You probably just say, oh, I got him into this private boarding school off wherever. And then, you know, you go away for the year and nobody really asks questions. Right. I think that's an interesting theory. But I maybe there's some sort of permission that can be given. I, I just think that's kind of a big gap in the whole. It's a whole, um, what's the word? Dark air. I don't know, unsolved area of, of this series, like how that, that sort of thing is dealt with. I'd like to I'm hear. Not sh- oh, sorry. I'd like to hear Joe's take on it. Go ahead, Nick. I was going to say, I'm not certain, but I think we change from primary to secondary school around that age. Um, so it would likely be the case that they're, they're all moving to different schools anyway. So you can easily slip under the radar and your, your friends wouldn't all go to the same place anyway. Uh, that makes yeah. Sense. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in the last email for today, Micah, could you please read that one? Bring it on home, Micah. All right. Last email comes from Marielle, 13 of New York, and she says, Hi, MuggleCast. I'm a huge fan. I just listened to episode 184, and you were discussing which book you thought was the hardest for Harry. I agree with book seven being the hardest for Harry, but I'm surprised you didn't bring up Goblet of Fire. In that book, Harry is thrown into this competition that many have died in. His best friend turns on him like most of the school because they think he cheated. He's forced to deal with people turning against him because they prefer Cedric. By the end of the book, Cedric, who is becoming his friend, has been killed. Voldemort has risen again, and Harry viewed the whole thing and was part of it by force. And a teacher who he trusted turned out to be a traitor. So much has been thrown on him in this book, which leads to some angst in Order of the Phoenix. Love the show, and I adore you guys. Keep up the great work. My favorites are Andrew, Matt, Jamie, and Mikey. See, Mikey, I didn't forget you. (laughs) <laughs> well i think she's absolutely right we we didn't discuss that at all i mean how ironic would it have been for harry to have died in the tried wizard tournament you know he was faced with very very real danger and you know it's just insane that he was he was put into that and actually came out of it alive i mean i can't believe dumbledore even risked it he must have really had faith in in harry no, the Goblet of Fire represents a magically binding contract. Andrew. No, that you're absolutely right, but it just scares me to think what could have happened. I know. Joe, Joe wouldn't have let it happen. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> she said seven books. So that does it for Muggle Mail this week, and now let's get into chapter by chapter. This week we're discussing chapters 10 through 12 of Chamber of Secrets. We're actually uh, about halfway through this book already. I love these short books. They go by so quick. And uh, these three chapters focus on uh, the, get, learning more about who opened the Chamber of Secrets. And these chapters focus on, you know, getting everything ready to create the Polyjuice Potion. All right. So uh, let's start with Chapter 10, The Rogue Bludger. And at the very beginning of it, Harry gets pulled in front of def- the Defense Against the Dark Arts class. And Lockhart has him act like a werewolf. Yeah, And so the first thing that came to mind was with Prisoner of Azkaban following, do you guys think that this was a little bit of foreshadowing on Joe's part that she threw in there? I think it kind of was. It was kind of a goofy scene, too. I actually didn't think about that until you brought it up. But, um, yeah, it, it, I, th- I think it, it was definitely a little foreshadowing there. Now, 
with the whole polyjuice potion, Hermione figures that the, the best way to figure out how to brew it is to get a book out of the restricted section of the library. And so you see this whole scene between Harry, Ron, and Hermione trying to figure out, well, who would they possibly get permission from to be able to take this book out? And the obvious answer is, of course, Lockhart. And it's it's just funny reading this book over, seeing how dense his character is. I mean, as long as his ego is essentially stroked, he's going to do absolutely anything that anybody wants him to do. Right. You guys agree with that? Well, that's all it takes. Just, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Just I mean, even Ron says Lockhart will sign anything if he stands still long enough. He's, yeah, exactly. He just wants, it's all about him. Yeah. It was an interesting uh, way to, you know, continue advancing this plot by... You know, in, in including this character who would really do anything for them. I'm not saying it's sort of like luck or anything, but I think that was just a really good way for Joe to, you know, continue advancing the plot thanks to Lockhart's help through his through his arrogance. Mm-hmm. Well, when you guys were reading, did you ever think that he was this fraud before you get to the end of the book? Well, I can't remember the first time. I mean, I was like 12, but... I think it was clear that this guy was pretty messed up, and it it came increasingly obvious, as we'll discuss a little bit later. It just became increasingly obvious that this guy was messed up. I mean, especially with the with with the um, turning Harry's bone into or removing the bone from his arm. I mean, that was a big clue. Yeah, and, and not only that, but I guess I guess it's kind of it kind of threw us off because typically Hermione's usually right about everything and yeah. ron is wrong and you know and ron's going off about how much of a giddy is and then hermione is you know of course she's infatuated with him so she has a hard time seeing through him but like i said yeah hermione's usually right and so this is the time is this is the time when it's uh things were switched around a bit do you think right. ron kept calling out lockhart's uh um bs when just because hermione was so infatuated with him Maybe it was Ron a little jealous that, like, Hermione was giving Lockhart, you know, was in love with Lockhart and not him. Possibly. Yeah, quite probably. Yeah. I mean, he, he calls her, uh, him a brainless git straight after Hermione sticks up for him, so it would make sense. Right. All right. Well, speaking of Hermione, I wanted to ask you guys, why is she so hell-bent on breaking the rules? I mean, this is a complete sort of diversion from her normal character. And this whole plan about brewing polyjuice potion just seems really outlandish. So I'm wondering, you know, deep down inside, does she have this really strong hatred for Malfoy after she was called a mudblood? And is that what's really making her want to break the rules? Um, well, the whole situation, I think, um, is more personal to her than it is for the other two in the trio because, I mean, the, they're attacking mudbloods, which she essentially is. And, I mean, in the book, she wasn't really – I mean, she didn't even know what a mudblood was at first. At least in the book, she didn't. And then right. Ron had to explain it to her. So um, I I think really the fact is that she's, like, taking it upon herself because, she, I mean, she does that throughout the series where she feels like she has to protect, like, what she did with the house elves and everything. So I think that's probably um, what's bringing it out of her is the fact that, you know, it, it hits close closer home to her than it – would to the other trio. That's why she's kind of taking the lead on the situation. Right. I mean, she even says, I think threatening Muggleborns is far worse than brewing up a difficult potion. Yeah, exactly. So uh, it's just surprising and it's somewhat out of character because there's so much that could go wrong with this plan. 
Yeah, I think I think she was definitely motivated by the whole mud blood thing. Um and I think she just really wants to get to the bottom of it and I don't think she sees any other way to solve this without breaking the rules. Do you think that's a fair assessment? Well, not only that, but you look at a character like Hermione who's been uh locked inside a cage of her own creation for a number of years, I would say. Well, I mean, not really a cage, but she's just she's just very uh by the book. So maybe, you know, the deep down she definitely has a side of her that wants to rebel and you know the rules are really just kind of guidelines if you if you know if you need to step outside of them to to do what is right then it's okay yeah I guess. and she even brings up a point soon after this about um well actually i think it's later in one of these chapters she mentions that you know she'll she'll risk snake uh, sneaking into snape's office too since they already have um yeah, since since she has a clean record, whereas Harry and Ron don't, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, um, the Quidditch match with Slytherin arrives, big anticipated sporting event, and you know we talked last week or was it two weeks ago about brooms, and the, we had a pretty long discussion about you know sort of is it fair that one team has better brooms than the other, and I, I thought. You know, going back to that, Oliver Wood made a good point when he says that despite having better brooms, uh, Slytherin, Gryffindor has better people. And I know that was an argument that somebody brought up on, on the last show. I can't remember who it was. It's not about the broom. It's about who's writing it. But is that true? I mean, like, it, Draco's not a good player, but they they brought him on because of the brooms. Don't you think it made the win more meaningful, though, the fact that they had these lesser brooms and that... Oh, definitely. That it was talent over the equipment and it really stuck it to Malfoy. They... Uh, yeah, I guess I guess, mm-hmm. I guess, guess you're right in that regard. But, but if you have two people of equal skill yeah. on... And one's riding a, a firebolt and the other's riding a clean sweep, then the person on the firebolt's going to win every time. Like, no doubt about it. Yeah. Because right. if they have equal skill, then the broom's going to make all the difference. Yeah. Um, right. But Oliver is still right in that it is about the people because I think it may be very hard for um, two seekers to possibly be matched in their skills because it's such a very precise um, kind of uh, role in the game of Quidditch that I think, you know, each person would have their own special ability, whether it's being able to see it. Um, you know, from a very far distance away or possibly hearing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's also um, based on your judgment of the snitch, too. I mean, you have you, you have to try to actually kind of th- think like the snitch, too, if you want to go really deep into it. Right. Yeah, and Malfoy just proves the point wholeheartedly by the fact that the snitch was hovering above his ear for so long during the match, and he had absolutely no clue. Yeah, I mean, he's an idiot. He may not even know what it what it sounds like. Like, I can't imagine why he couldn't even... He didn't even hear it. He was just so focused on Harry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So the match continues, and Harry ends up getting the snitch. Gryffindor wins. And, of course, he hurts himself. And who comes to the rescue but Professor Lockhart? And, you know, I made the point that he continues to show the fact that he's this inept fraud, and he completely removes the bones from Harry's arm. Right. So... I mean, it's to me, maybe it was a lot easier to see in the movie because of, 
you know, all the effects that they can put into it. But, you know, when I'm reading the book now, I can kind of see how all the clues were there all along that Lockhart is this, this, this big fake. Well, yeah. And I think we're going to bring this up in a bit, but, um, you know, somebody, I guess we can discuss it now. Somebody sent this, um, Twitter question in. It was from Hermanth. And she, she or he wonders why are the other professors not stopping Lockhart when he is trying to mend Harry's arm, knowing that he's going to do something disastrous. I mean, that's what I'm wondering because, you know, who's and and Harry tried to rebel. He was like, no, please don't, don't, don't fix it. I'll go to, I'll go into the castle and get it mended by the nurse. But I'm just wondering, like, why didn't anyone else stop him? Like everybody knew that was a, a disaster waiting to happen. It's a good question. I mean. Where were the other professors? I don't know. Maybe Lockhart just ran ahead of everyone because he wanted to save the day again. But even Probably. then, like, it's just ruining his reputation. I don't even get why he tries. I he... wonder – that's a good question, though, because what does somebody like Dumbledore think every time one of these events happens and he sees Lockhart just completely – Yeah, why does he let him go? Up? Yeah. Well, you mean you got to also keep in mind Dumbledore hired <clears> – <throat> You have to also keep in mind that Dumbledore hired Gilderoy Lockhart knowing that there was a curse on the position. So obviously, I mean, he probably didn't care too much about him. It's yeah, true. Yeah, but but still, he should he should care about Harry. So I don't know. Maybe it wasn't there. <laughs> All right. So Harry does end up going to the hospital. And uh, we learned after a while that Dobby showing up that Dobby was the one responsible for blocking the barrier at King's Cross Station. And he mentions that he had to burn his hands afterwards. And I know we had a discussion a couple episodes back about whether he was doing all this on Lucius's orders or if he was doing it of, you know, kind of his own uh, desire. And, you know, doesn't this kind of prove that he does indeed care about Harry? And, um, because he says that he thought that by doing all this, Harry would be safe. But my question is, why would he have to burn his hands if he doesn't really have any allegiance to Harry in the first place? Isn't this, isn't that exactly why? Because he's he's burning his hands because he's still loyal to the Malfoys. Okay, no, that's a good point. Yeah, but is he doing that because of the Malfoys, or is he doing it because he's preventing Harry from doing something that he wants to do? I think he's well, a little bit both. I think he's just very conflicted. Like he wants to help Harry, but he knows he can't. So the way he's punishing himself is by burning his hands. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, he's still trying to help Harry. So maybe he's his his thinking is, oh, I'll help Harry, but I'll still punish myself. So that way, I'm still loyal to the Malfoys because I'm punishing myself, but I'm still helping Harry. <laughs> I don't know. And, <laughs> it's very convoluted thinking, but. Right. Well, and there's a great quote that Dobby says. He said, if he knew what he means to us, to the lowly, the enslaved, we dregs of the magical world. Yeah. It just really shows you what house elves think of themselves and how they really don't, you know, give them any sort of status. Yeah. But I, how Harry Potter means so much to them. Yeah. And he, yeah, and, and, and Dobby mentions that, um, the, the, the view, the perspective on house elves has changed over the years, thanks in part to Harry killing uh, or Harry, you know, sort of defeating Voldemort. And then we learn that house elves can be freed by being presented with clothing. And obviously this has a bigger implication at the end of the book, but interesting how it was thrown in there. Yeah, hey, mm -hmm. Micah, if you could have a house elf, would you? I don't think I would. 
Why not? I don't see why you'd need one. Magic will make your life easier anyway. I don't see the specific need for one. Well, us us humans are still naturally lazy, so even with magic, we could be like, ah, I don't feel like flicking my wand to do that, or ah, I don't feel like picking up my wand to do that. I would take a house elf. I mean, you know, they're there to work for us. Would you treat us. it fairly? No. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I would be nice to it. I mean, what do you mean treat? It? What do you mean treat it fairly? Uh, how can you treat like a slave fairly to begin with? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. still, I, I, you know, I wouldn't hit it or make itself punish itself. I would, I would treat okay. it like Harry has. Harry treated a uh, creature. Yeah, but Harry said, "Creature." Well, he said, "Dobby free," and creature will never leave. Yeah, but Harry still treated creature kindly, especially you know when creature started respecting Harry. Mm-hmm. I I think there's there'd be a way to to do it, and and I mean these house elves are are programmed to, you know, be these slaves for wizards, and you know, hey, if they're gonna do that, I'm certainly not gonna stop them. I'll make them cook food for me. Sure, why not? Ben, would you have a house elf? I think you would. No, I'm not cruel and inhumane. <laughs> like yeah. you, yeah, I agree with Ben. <laughs> I'm not being cruel or inhumane. I, I have being, more respect for life than that. Thanks. I'm being resourceful. Yeah. Andrew just needs staff around the yeah, house. Yeah, yeah, like those those uh the white southerners in the 1800s. They were, they were just being resourceful. This <laughs> is a bit different. All right. Should we move on? Yes, please. I'm digging myself a hole. All right. So the the biggest piece of information we get out of this conversation is that the Chamber of Secrets was open before. And Harry wants to know from Dobby, well, why would I be in danger? I'm not muggle-born. And I think you know, we having read the whole series, we we talked about Dobby knowing about the Horcrux in the first few chapters, but it, it I think it's becoming clear he does in fact know that that Harry is in danger from this diary. And you know, there's that scene when Harry talks about not wanting to leave because Hermione would be in danger, and and you know, Dobby all about has an orgasm when he hears that, um, you know, Harry is willing to risk himself for his friends. Right. So towards the end of uh, this conversation, Colin Creevy gets brought in, petrified, into the the nurse's wing, and uh, we hear this whole conversation between Dumbledore and McGonagall and Madame Pomfrey. And Dumbledore asks the question, or or so, was it McGonagall who asked the question, "Who has opened the Chamber of Secrets?" And Dumbledore says, "It's not who, but how." But aren't both relevant? Are you guys? Um. Well, I think maybe maybe Dumbledore has a hunch at this point. I mean, he's a smart guy. He was there for the last time it opened, so I I I think he was on to something. Well, he probably he knew that Voldemort, I mean, the Tom Riddle was the heir of Slytherin, right? I think so. So he would know that only only the heir could open this. So he would definitely have an idea. Do you think Dumbledore was scared at all at this point? Because obviously Dumbledore is scared. Come on, Micah. <laughs> yeah, I no, no. I think he was scared. Why wouldn't he be? I mean, there's there's someone petrifying students at school. Uh, you know, even even though Dumbledore may have like you know a plan in the back of his head, or oh, may know. Come on, fear isn't Dumbledore's game. Well, then what do you think he was feeling? What was he feeling? Yeah, he he was just poised. He's like the Zen master man. He just, <laughs> he's calm. Mr. Miyagi. 
you know, he just takes life as it comes. He doesn't. It doesn't matter to Dumbledore. Well, know? as headmaster, I ho- I would hope he's thinking ahead a little bit. Oh, when... of course he's thinking ahead, but he's not. He's but not he's afraid. Focused. Yeah. He's 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 prepared to walk head on into the belly of the beast. <laughs> he definitely does yoga in the mornings, doesn't he? He's one of those people I could picture doing some yoga to keep calm, especially during this book, or any of the books for that matter. All right. All right. Chapter eleven: The Dueling Club. And uh, at the beginning, Harry gets released from the hospital. He goes and finds Ron and Hermione in Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, and they're in the middle of working on the Polyjuice potion. He lets them know. Uh, about Dobby. So that's a little bit of, of background info there. But again, we get another glimpse of, of Ginny uh, a little bit later in this chapter being distraught once she finds out what happened to Colin Creevy. And so it, it's interesting to see all these little hints that are being dropped uh, throughout the book, um, knowing obviously that Ginny's responsible for opening the chamber. Yeah. Poor girl. What do you guys think? Poor girl. I don't think yeah. there's really anything to add. I mean, you know, I, I, do, Micah, do you remember having sort of some sort of feeling like, you know, that something was up with Ginny about this? This is now what the third or fourth time she was really distraught over this. Yeah, I think she's just. I I probably thought that she was just scared. I mean, she's a first year at the time, so why wouldn't uh, why wouldn't she be afraid with everything that's going on? I mean, I, I guess I have a little sympathy for Jenny, but I mean, come on. Like, this is a big deal. Like, what? Well, she, she's messing up, man. <laughs> by not, by, by not saying anything? Well, not only that, but she, she just. She's 11, Ben. Oh, give me a break. When I was 11, I was. Conquering the world. Conquering the world. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. All right. Um, all right. Well. I, th- I found it funny in this chapter that there was kind of a, an underground trade that was going on uh, for talismans, amulets, and other protective devices. So it's, it seems like there's this whole kind of black market for these items that are supposed to protect students from the basilisks, even though they don't know that's what it is at this time. Yeah, people are cashing in. And I, wh- yeah. how are they marketing these things? Like, it'll prevent whatever from from attacking you because nobody knows what it is so like how could you possibly like how how do they know a large evil smelling green onion uh is going to you know keep away whatever this mystery thing is well they thought it was a vampire maybe yeah i guess so maybe that's a little hint but you know and, and you mentioned neville buying that and neville is kind of really down on himself despite the fact that he's a pureblood you know, he kind of refers to himself as a squib, and it just is kind of an insight into Neville's character and the fact that he has no confidence in himself to to kind of protect himself. Yeah, but I think a lot of students, I mean, especially these early in in their early years, were especially afraid of what was going on, so they were going for this stuff. This seems like stuff Fred and George would have sold. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I wonder why they didn't. I mean, why was this even allowed? I mean, where are the teachers to stop this and be like, hey, you can't be selling this? I mean, couldn't people, couldn't the same person who's behind uh, the, the opening of the Chamber of Secrets be also selling stuff to students? I mean, you know, they're trying to cash in on their, their, their evil doing. So, Andrew, you mentioned this before. Um, now they're going about trying to get all the pieces that they need for the Polyjuice Potion. And Hermione goes to... Um, steal the things that are in Snape's storage 
um, when Harry creates this diversion. So the question is, what's going on with Hermione? She's kind of like this renegade all of a sudden. Uh, Hermione is just, you know, she, she she just wants to see some results. And again, I don't think that she's trying to... Uh, uh, she's showing off. Is she she showing... thinks it's the only way to do it, I think. Yeah. It, she's not showing off, I was kidding. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I think Nick's right. It's it's the only way to 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 solve this, and she's self motivated by these insults that Draco was throwing at her, and you know it was it was just a bad situation. So, one of the the title of the chapter is the Dueling Club, and Hermione, Ron, and Harry decide that'll be a good idea to go and check this thing out, and it's of course hosted by Gilderoy Lockhart. Who else would be responsible for something like this? And somehow Snape also gets in on the action. And, you know, they demonstrate first and Snape essentially kicks the crap out of Lockhart. And uh, Snape then goes around and pairs different people together. And he decides, of course, to put Potter and Malfoy together. And Draco decides that he's going to hit Harry with anything but proper spells. And... I thought it was interesting how Harry hits Draco with Rictum Sempra in this book, and then he hits him with Sectum Sempra in Half-Blood Prince. Now, these are two very similar spells in their name, but they have very different effects. So a, another tie, I guess you could say, between the two books. Do you think Joe was going for some sort of connection there? I think so. Yeah, possibly. I mean, the the, the whole... I think that may show Harry's growth over the years, uh, you know, between books two and six, you know, Sectumsempra was obviously a very dangerous spell in Half-Blood mm-hmm. Prince, whereas in Chamber of Secrets, the Sempra didn't really do much. Right. And what's the deal with Snape before, you know, the next point here, Andrew, that you wanted to talk about, but, you know, pairing up Harry and Draco, it's like he's trying to start a problem. Of course he is. What do you mean, of course he is? Oh, of course he's trying to create a problem. The, the reason why he was trying to start start a, a conflict between them is because he knew it was Harry that set off the fireworks in his classroom. And he gave him, he also gave him, um, well, um, on in the chapter, he told Draco what spell to use to get him. Yeah, that's right. He did whisper. He wanted, he wanted to get back at Harry, so he used Draco as his outlet for that. Yeah, yeah. I also think it may be for, uh, it, it, it. Harry and Draco are a very good match matchup to uh, to duel together. Uh, it's almost for educational purposes. But I just wonder with this whole dueling club thing, like what what was the point of this? Like Dumbledore's army made sense in Order of the Phoenix, but what was the point of the dueling club? And doesn't it sort of just encourage this 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 unnecessary fighting? People are scared, man. But what was the purpose behind the Dueling Club, Ben? What was the purpose? Yeah, like, why? Why? Because people need to be able to defend themselves, you know? Say say here you're in your apartment complex. Yeah. Say say there's some night murderer, right? Right. You should go take classes. You start taking taekwondo. You should What's... be able to defend yourself in what? case... I mean, sure, you may have a gun or whatever, but... <laughs> In the event that, you know, those skills could come in handy, you should have those skills because you never know when you might be, need to use them. Yeah. I just think that the students are a little too young at this age to be to, to be having to learn to duel 
and you know duel against one another um I don't know. I, I guess unless they were thinking, you know, they want to teach the student, students to potentially duel against the Basilisk. I mean, I guess that would make sense, but you're not going to win. So, hmm. onward, Micah. No, it's it's a good point that you bring up. I mean, it's not like – I guess it's just because they know that the heir is a person. So, they figure that it's it would be good to at least know how to disarm your opponent. I mean, it just would seem better to be defensive spells as opposed to, you know, dueling. Yeah. But all right, moving on. Anyway, uh, Matt mentioned before that Snape whispers to Draco what spell to cast, and he casts a spell that you know creates a snake in front of Harry, and then the snake looks like it's attacking Justin Finch Fletchley, and. Um, all of a sudden, Harry starts talking to the snake, and everybody in the room thinks that he's antagonizing the snake on, as opposed to telling him to, or telling the snake to leave Justin alone. And of course, this sets off the whole discussion that Harry is the heir of Slytherin. Um, Wait, I don't really know what else to say about that. I think I, I think the students are really just being sort of immature here, because I I still don't totally understand why. It made it, uh, it. Why in the movie? I guess it made sense. The visual made sense, but I don't understand why the students had to assume and could not believe that Harry was actually sending the snake after Justin. I mean, it's a pretty bold statement. And then you also have to consider, like, would Harry really do that in front of students and teachers? You know, expose himself as the heir by by you know doing this in front of this large group of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess That's it just shows that the immaturity of these 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 kids. Well, it was just a really bizarre incident because, you know, everybody's scared. They're at this dueling club stuff, trying to learn how to defend themselves, and then this person starts speaking parcel tongue, right? Which everybody's like, "Whoa, what is he just showing off?" Remember who said that? Uh, Ernie McMillan. Yeah, I think he said, "What are you doing? Just showing off?" Yeah, like come on, kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, because. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bizarre situation is the point I was getting at. Well, part of it, too, is that Justin had told Harry that he was Muggleborn, right? Yes. Or he was – was he Half-Blood or Muggleborn? I can't remember. I think it was Muggleborn. I Yeah. And so, you know, and the, and the next part is, is a scene that – I think it was a deleted scene from the movie, wasn't it, where um, Hermione tells Harry to go talk to Justin because Harry gets really worked up over the whole situation for the next couple of days and – you know, he ends up overhearing the Hufflepuffs who think that he is, in fact, the heir of Slytherin. That was a deleted scene from the movie, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right. And this is also the classic, um, like, the biggest movie error of all time. I've brought this up on the show before where when uh, Draco falls back after Harry casts one of the spells... There's a camera guy with a camera straight up <laughs> down on the ground on the left side of the screen. And from a nerd perspective, it just made my life because, like, like I don't. It's such a huge blooper. It's a it's a cameraman and a camera and a tripod all sitting there on the left side of the screen filming. And it's, it's just wild. And it made it into the film. Yeah, we could go watch it right now. I I and that I was. I think this is a good question for the producers. I wonder if they're gonna gonna like make any changes to the films, like any digital changes or fix any bloopers. You know. I'm going to keep an eye out for that on the Ultimate Edition. Man, in Blu-ray, you're going to be able to see the name of that camera, and you're going to be able to, like, 
recognize the guy, the camera guy. Count the hairs on his head. Yeah. <laughs> Can't wait. <laughs> so Harry leaves the Hufflepuffs pissed off, and uh, he ends up running into Rubius Hagrid. Who? Me? <laughs> <laughs> right on cue. And uh, one of the things to note about Hagrid is he's got this dead rooster in his hand. And uh, this was another indication that the monster is a basilisk. We uh, we learn about this later on. But I wanted to know, was Fantastic Beasts out and published at this time? Because then people might have been able to go to it and, and realize what the monster was. I looked this up and Fantastic Beasts came out in 2001. And the Chamber of Secrets was 1998 in the UK and 99 in the US. So. Uh, Not unless they were late readers, but... But would you have read that and then immediately gone to? Yeah, I don't think Joe would have done that. I don't think, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think you would read the the actual series first before going to read the, you know, the extra books like like Fantastic Beasts and Quidditch and uh, and uh, Beetle the Bard. Right. Yeah. All right. So after his run in with Hagrid, guess what happens? What? As luck should have it, minutes later, Harry trips over a petrified Justin who, <laughs> you know, is just lying there stone-faced on the floor and nearly headless Nick is nearby. He seems to be petrified too. Peeves shows up and makes so much noise that all the classes empty into the, the main corridor there. This Busted. is just too coincidental for me, man. <laughs> Andrew, you brought up a good point though. Yeah, I mean, what what what's going on here? Why does Harry have to... Why is Harry always the one who runs into, you know, the, 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 the runs into the basilisk attacks? I just don't understand why, you know, c- couldn't somebody else have discovered, uh, you know, at least one of these, at least Justin and Nearly Headless Nick? Like, I can understand the trio running into one or two of these, but, you know, and what are the chances of Harry running into all of these two and being the first person to do so? It would have been cool to see, you know, maybe some other student run into you know, uh, you know, one of the initial or be the first one to notice an attack and be like, oh, my God, what's happening? And then run off to Dumbledore and then Harry hears about it later. But poor Harry. Yeah, he's got bad luck, man. He That's really all it comes down to. He's just nothing but bad luck. I know. Yeah. Poor kid. So, of course, uh, now he's in big trouble or so he thinks and he gets taken off to Dumbledore's office and uh in the next chapter, we get to see Dumbledore's office for the first time. Yeah, that was really cool seeing it for the first time. Kind of rereading it. Yeah, yeah. Forget about that. And and yeah, and and then you're stuck with the visual from the movie, and um, it's it was interesting because there are a couple things that changed. One thing in particular I noticed was, um, they noted about Dumbledore coming out of his bedroom or like hair or I think Joe wrote that's this is where Dumbledore slept. You know, because it was Dumbledore's home, which had me wondering, right. like, where is Dumbledore's bedroom in relation to, like, the, the movie set? Because you never see any additional room. It's just, like, the front area with a desk, and then there's the back area that has... Dumbledore doesn't sleep. I guess so. He's like a vampire. It's like Chuck Norris. <laughs> so, all right, moving on to the next chapter, the Polyjuice Potion. And... At the very beginning of this chapter, once he's inside Dumbledore's office, Harry goes to the sorting hat, and he wants to know whether or not he was placed in the right house. 
and the hat tells him you would have done well in Slytherin. Not that he should have been placed there, but he mentions that he would have done well there, which, I mean, don't you think Harry would have done well no matter what house he was in? Except Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just wondering why... Why did well, like Harry got angry and then ripped the sorting hat hat off? And I'm wondering why didn't he? You know, he had this one on one time with the sorting hat. Why didn't he just, uh, you know, t- try to get more answers out of it? Like you could have had a very int- like he should have asked the sorting hat why did why 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 did he consider Slytherin? Was it because of the partial tongue abilities or what? Right, this doesn't make sense. It's true. All right. Well, next we meet Fox for the first time, and uh, we learn a little bit. What was that? that? Fox. No ga, ga, fox, ga. Ga, ga, fa, fa, fox. <laughs> <laughs> You're in Dumbledore's office. Just dance. You're in Dumbledore's office. Onward, Micah. Yeah, please. Endure right. my... <laughs> we learned that uh, phoenixes can carry very immense... Or, sorry. They can carry immensely heavy loads. Their tears, tears have healing powers, and they make highly faithful pets. Oh, that's nice. And obviously this all has a larger implication at the, right. at the end of the book. Um, and the series. When I, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the times that Fox later came into play. Right. Such a good bird. And then Dumbledore shows up, and Ben, would you uh, would you mind doing an imitation of you saw him on a burning day? Or so, what does he say? You Something like that. You saw him on a burning day. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 ah. 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 Ooh la la. Gaga. the bad romance. Uh, they like harmonize together, Dumbledore and Fox uh, the bird. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, what I want to know, I want obviously, your the... romance. I'm oh, sorry. I get carried no, away. go ahead. No, you can't. No, go on. All right. <laughs> All right. So Harry and Dumbledore get into this conversation, and, and Dumbledore asks Harry if there's anything he wishes to tell him. And then he, when Harry says no, Dumbledore just kind of accepts that. I mean. Come on. Obviously, there's a reason why Harry's in his office, and clearly there's something going wrong with him. Why does Dumbledore so willing to accept this BS response? This is basically Dumbledore putting the ball in Harry's court kind of thing. Dumbledore is not really like the, the confrontational type, I would say. He yeah. kind of gives he, – he's the type to give you a knowing look or ask a question in a knowing manner. Like he already knows the answer. So – even though, like, of course, he, he knows that Harry's not being completely honest here, but this is him kind of urging Harry along the way to get him to open up because, you know, if he realizes that Dumbledore knows anyways, then what's the point in, you know, withholding it? Yeah, and I think I think Dumbledore's point of not pressing pressing matters is he wants Harry to make decisions on his own. He doesn't want to force him to talk. He wants Harry to, you know, grow on his own. It's about choices, right, Ben? It is our choices, Harry. Gaga. Lady Dumbledore. Dumbledore Gaga. 
Gaga Dumbledore. Gaga door. Do you think Dumbledore listens to Lady Gaga? Oh yeah. Definitely. Oh, definitely. Lady He's Gaga like, is huge in the gay community. Let's have some fun. This beat is sick. I want to take a ride on your wand. Well, wand you want <laughs> <laughs> on your wand. <laughs> Let's have some fun. This beat. Let's is have sick. some fun. I want to take a ride on your wand stick. <laughs> Dumbledore and Fox could do an amazing, amazing version of, of, of uh, whatever that song's called. All right, I, enough of this. So let's, All right. let's move on. So eventually Christmas comes to Hogwarts and the potion is ready. And uh, Hermione comes up with this plan to drug Crab and Goyle. And now she's just going too far. I know. <laughs> now she's gonna drug people. Like but first, is- like, you know, she pushes minor infractions, minor rule breaking, and now she's drugging people. But this is necessary for the polyjuice potion. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily her decision. Oh right, right, and that's what exactly what Grindelwald and Voldemort were saying for the greater good. Right, it's always the justification for the greater good. Well, karma kicks her in the butt when she turns into a cat. Anyway, but we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Ooh. So the the potion is completed. They all transform, and uh, Hermione, as you mentioned, doesn't come with them because she ends up turning into a cat. But how did I want to know how they did all this research about transforming? But none of them bothered to figure out where the Slytherin common room was. That was so stupid. Oversight. Talk about oversight. It annoyed. That wasn't even. I don't know. I don't know if Joe should have written it that way because I feel like that's. That's a really an insult to Hermione's character to not think about that beforehand because that's such a basic thing. It's not like one thing that you could accidentally forget. I mean, the plan was to go to Draco and Draco would be in the Slytherin common room. So it's just common sense. And I don't believe Hermione's character would have actually forgotten that. Or Ron or Harry. Well, did they kind of run out there without even bothering to consult Hermione? I mean, would Hermione even known where the common room was? Yeah, I don't know. I bet she would have. Maybe, maybe you're right. I, I forgot that Hermione didn't go along. But, but you know, they were placed under that time limit too, that hour time limit. So I guess they had a rushing feeling. And I mean, uh, th- you know, it could have easily taken them a full hour to find the common room alone. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My question is, why wouldn't you just make enough apologies potion for like two hours and just have like a little flask on you and then? You know, about 45, 50 minutes in, you know, just take another shot of Polyjuice and... I'm not sure. Maybe because it takes so long to make, uh, just that little batch. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you'd like to think that they could they could mass produce it. Right. But, you know, some things cannot just be mass produced. The The other oversight was them not really trying to keep their emotions in check throughout. And you see that in the movie, like throughout yeah. the whole conversation yeah. with Draco... They talk about Arthur Weasley. They talk about Colin Creevy and Hermione. And Draco's just ragging on all three of them. And he's uh, always ragging. That's true, man. He is. And that sort of turns into a, a funny bit, especially for the movies, because you know it's funny to watch. You know, Ron sort of freak out when he insults when Draco insults Jenny. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it must have been hard to hear them to hear Draco say that. I don't know if kids. At that young age, or I don't know if Harry and Ron specifically could keep their emotions in check when they already have so much pent up anger towards Draco, and to hear Draco saying this stuff firsthand, to be you know expressing his feelings right in front of them, it must be very, very hurtful. And you know, Harry and Ron are no 
no professional spies. They certainly can't, yeah. you know, cover their emotions. You know, right. Well, they're... that's why maybe having Hermione there would have would have been a good thing. Right. Kind of keep them in check. But one of the cool things out of that conversation was we get our we got a first mention of of snapping a wand when uh, Draco was talking about Arthur Weasley. Yeah. And how. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he loves muggles and how the fact that he loves muggles, he should just have his wand snapped and he should be kicked out of the wizarding community. And uh, don't we, isn't that brought up again with Hagrid later on? Yeah, Something I think like it that. is. Yeah. yeah. But it was kind of like just thrown in there and you, I guess, normally just read over it without even paying attention. But uh, it's the little it's, things. I know. Joe, that Joe. That Joe. Joe, <laughs> Joe, Joe, Joe. But uh, I like him to be Joe, baby making booty Joe, Joe, <laughs> that Joe, 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 no, 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 Joe, Joe, let me see that Joe, Joe. Now, Lady Gaga, just Joe, just gonna Joe, 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 just Joe. Now, Brittany. Huh? One, two, Joe, and Adam, Adam, oh. How about, oh, 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 Joe, <laughs> I do not want to read Twilight. I love you, Joe, oh. We're going to make that a segment once. We're going to call out artists and just insert Harry Potter names into the songs. <laughs> All right, Micah, we're almost All done. Right, so from Don't this conversation, us. we learned that the chamber was opened 50 years ago and that a mudblood died. We also get our first mention of Azkaban in the series. That's right, which plays a big role in in the next in the next book, you know. And then uh, one last little thing, you know, referring to the raid that happened at his father's uh, manor, he says that. But luckily, we've got our own secret chamber under the drawing room floor, and we know what role that plays later on in the series. So, thought I'd mention that. That's right. It's a it's a very crucial role in the series. Um, okay, that does it for the chapter analysis. Thank you, Mike. Uh, spot on job there. You did, you did there. I hope Thank you didn't you. mind the random bouts of singing. No, no, it adds to, to the conversation. Does it though? Does it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> it, 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 you know, kicks it up a notch. Okay, it's time for quote, quote, quiz, 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 quiz. Here's the quotes. The moment Ron. they. <laughs> no. Damn. <laughs> the moment, <laughs> the moment they start trying to move into each other's pots, we'll know they're fully mature. Oh come on, Professor Sprout. That's right. That's right. Talking about the mandrakes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> come on. That's right. Get a different one, Andrew. That one's too easy. Too easy. Yeah. yeah. Okay, this is a double quote quiz. Yeah, there's two people. What does she understand? That's the first person. Then the second person says, loads more than I do. Harry and Ron. Wow, that was a good one, dude. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Had you stumped. We have just uh, one tweet related to um, chapters 10 through 12 that we did not get to on our discussion. It's from Gabrielle. And she says, in chapter 12, Snape is the first one to teach Harry the Expelliarmus spell, his signature move that later saves his life. And that's kind of ironic, isn't it? Ooh, because, well, I mean, technically speaking, uh, Snape had that whole life debt situation, situation. Right, he was to on. protect Harry. 
Right. And so and he gave him the spell, the cornerstone. The... His signature spell. We should get a count of how many times he uses that in Deathly Hollows. I would bet it's it's many, many times. Yeah, at least more than once. Okay, so that's it for <laughs> chapter by chapter. We're going to do a segment we haven't done in a while. Avada Kedavra Imperio Love Potion. And let me remind uh, listeners how this works again. Uh, I just listed three spells. I'm going to give each one of the hosts three characters, and they have to decide which one they would kill with Avada Kedavra, which one they would Imperio, and which one they would give a love potion. Ooh. Ben, you first. <laughs> Avada Kedavra Imperio Love Potion. Katie Bell, Cho Chang, and Ginny Weasley. Ooh, this one, this one's a good one. <laughs> um, Lots of attractive women. I I would kill Katie Bell. I'm sorry. Oh, I just don't have very much of an attachment to her. And <laughs> I would probably, I'd probably put Cho under the Imperious Curse, because then I could get her to do whatever <laughs> I want. Um, and Jenny, she's a sweetheart, even though she's dumb and gets taken advantage of by stupid little books. And I give her the love potion because I'd want to be with her for for a good month. A good, mo- a good month, absolutely, or whatever. Okay. Wonderful analysis, uh, Nick. Uh, same three, uh, you know, spells and curses and potions. Uh, Rita Skeeter, Minerva McGonagall, and Peter Pettigrew. I would AK Pettigrew, the little weasel. Um, I think Rita needs some loving, so I'll <laughs> give her the love potion. Oh, come and... on, McGonagall's hot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but under the Imperio, she could be, you know. She'd be even hotter. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Okay, we got to stop with this Imperioing women. It's going to come off very uh, hey. womanizing. Hey, never. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, it's the imperious curse. Like you, can def- people do whatever you want when you're when they're underneath it. Like, it isn't right. Like it isn't like you're doing it to have like pure intentions. You right. Know? No, you're right. Uh, okay, and uh, Matt, Bellatrix, Narcissa, and Sirius. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think you know what. I'm gonna I'm gonna Avada Narcissa because. I don't know. I just, I just, I just don't like women with pointy noses mm. up in the air. You know, just the, the white hair. I am definitely going to Imperial Bellatrix. Cause that woman's crazy. Can you imagine what she is under the Imperious Curse? Wow. Ben. <laughs> and you would give a love potion to Sirius? Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. That's Sirius awesome. Black. And Micah, I just, I totally did not mean to give you this one on purpose because I know we're sort of done with the whole goat thing, but um Aberforth Dumbledore, <laughs> Madame Rosmerta, and Tom the bartender of the Leaky Cauldron. Well, I would I would actually have to kill Aberforth so I could take the goat. <laughs> Micah's you know, anyway, anyway, life he's... mission is to save goats from <laughs> Disturbing. I mean, he's kind of the he's kind of the the meaningless brother. You know what I mean? Whoa! Well, he plays a uh, role in book seven. Oh, no, he helps people in and out of this Hogwarts and all that jazz. It's true. He has a. But anyway, okay. So what what are you doing so with he's him? He's dead. He's gone. Okay. Sorry. Bye bye. Is this after uh, book seven or before? Because if it's before, there could be serious problems. No, it's after. Oh, oh, okay. Book good. seven came out like two years ago, dude. 
<laughs> you know what I'm yeah, saying. We're recording two years later. Before the plot. Okay. Yes. Go ahead. Go on. After the plot. Anyway, uh, give the love potion to Madame Rosmerita. And uh, I'd Imperio Tom because you could get him to make you any kind of drink you could possibly want any time of the day. Well, so could Madame Rosmerita. She has a three broomsticks. Yeah, but she's marryable. Yeah, so. exactly. Oh, yeah. She's hot. I mean, Ron <laughs> has a thing for her at one point. That's right. <laughs> Okay, I'm so gonna slip me a butterbeer. <laughs> Give me a butterbeer. Okay, well, uh, that's how we play Avada Kedavra Imperial Love Potion. If you have any uh, combinations to send in, you know, character combinations or spells, even if there's certain spells you want us to put on people, yeah, yeah, we'll start mixing it up more. Yeah. Send it in to uh, email us. Go to MuggleCast.com and click on contact and uh, fill out the box. Okay, so we, before we let everyone go, we have a few announcements today. Uh, don't forget to vote for us on Podcast Alley. How could they forget at this point? I mean, <laughs> because we love to remind years. them. It's, it's been a long time. I know. And every episode we talk about it. I, I would love just to hear every end of every episode. Just have all those clips. Vote for us on Podcast Alley. There's a lot of Podcast them. Alley. Podcast Alley. And also, here's one us. we don't talk about as often. Uh, we are nominated at the 2009 Podcast Awards. Thanks to you guys, we are nominated in the best produced and best entertainment categories. Thank you so much for nominating us. And now it's time to vote. Voting is open until November 30th. You can uh, vote every day. You're allowed to vote once a day by visiting podcastawards.com. And again, vote for us in the best produced and entertainment categories. And while you're there, we have a couple other podcasts. We do a couple other podcasts that we'd love for you to uh, vote, vote for um in the cultural arts category is our twilight podcast imprint in the mature category is our podcast smart mouths and um also our friends at hogwarts radio were also nominated in the general category so that's a lot but again uh best produced mugglecast entertainment mugglecast cultural arts imprint general hogwarts radio mature smart mouths so there you, you can, have it. You can vote in the other categories as well. You can vote once every day. So please vote first once a day. We really vote appreciate daily. It. Make it your homepage. If we win in both categories, Ben and I will record a Dumbledore Fox Lady Gaga song. Yeah. Shake up the Harry Potter we'll, world. We'll let you guys vote on which one and we'll write one and, and, and get a karaoke yeah, version. Get it all good and yeah, going. It'll be, it'll be amazing. It'll be our next Christmas rock. number one. Yes, it'll be our next Wizard Rock release. So again, podcastawards.com. Uh, visit mugglecast.com for all the details. We have the voting details up on there. Don't forget, as we plugged earlier, we have a new Ultimate DVD section on MuggleNet, uh, which is the ultimate resource for the Ultimate DVD section. So check that out by going to mugglenet.com. And under the Films uh, area on the left side of the page, click Ultimate DVDs. Don't forget, Infinitus 2010 is coming up. Infinitus2010.org is the site where you can find all the information about HPEF's new or next Harry Potter conference. It's going to be July 15th to 18th in Orlando, Florida. It's going to be happening right after the release, uh, right after the opening of the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park. Andrew, are we doing a podcast there? Uh, Actually, (laughs) (laughs) actually, Ben, uh, we cannot announce at that time, at, at this time, but. Thank you I, for I've asking. Heard things. You've heard things. There, ha- there has been rumors. I on. haven't heard things. I don't know. But it's probably that Rita Skeeter. 
<laughs> yes. Stay away from that, Rita. When you guys, if you register and attend Infinitus, uh, when you're going through the whole registration process, please put MuggleNet or MuggleCast in the referral box. We do appreciate that very much. So thank you. Again, it's Infinitus, Infinitus2010.org. And finally, on one last note, uh, happy birthday to MuggleCast listener Megan. Uh, I'm friends with her friend Lucas and... We both wish her a happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Megan. Happy birthday, Megan. Also, I have to give a shout out to Wales. To Wales? No, like, like the place in England. Like, not actually, uh, <laughs> not, not, not like Free Willy. Not, okay. not, not those kind of whales, but. All right. Although I do, I do know some of those. I. <laughs> 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 period. All right. Well, th- thanks everyone for listening. Uh, don't forget, MuggleCast.com is the site where you can get all the information you need pertaining to the show. Uh, there you can visit our contact page and, you know, get in touch with us. Uh, we also have links to our Twitter. And our MySpace. And our MySpace, right. our Facebook. If you're still using MySpace. <laughs> everything, everything. You know the deal. MuggleCast.com is the site for all the information you need pertaining to MuggleCast. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Ben Shane. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. I am Matt Britton. And I'm Nick Myers. We'll see you next time for episode 186. Peace Woo-hoo, out. Yeah. Bye. 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 Bye